we bottomed out and you've seen us move our way up higher we broke the previous resistance levels and we are now clear of that base typically that is a sign of a trend change doesn't necessarily mean higher but it does mean not down so i think if we hold these levels and we continue to have accumulation we could have a nice bull market that will shock everyone welcome to the market call show where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments tune in every thursday on apple podcast google play spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts Welcome to the Market Call Show podcast. This is Lewis Giannis. Today, I want to talk about some things that are on my desk. I was looking at uh, the markets over the weekend, and actually, we just picked up a Wall Street Journal just to see what the Wall Street Journal was saying. And it was so amazing because I was able to mark up this entire Wall Street Journal because there was so many different different stories that are out there, I think, that are confusing investors, that are getting people a little off track. Um, it's very, very easy to not feel a sense of unease. And I, the more I look at this, the more I feel and um, see evidence that we have some significant changes that are actually going to be for the better and that it's time to actually start thinking that way. Uh, what I th- I'll tell you why I think a lot of people are having a lot of angst. I'm going to share my screen here with you because It's pretty clear what's happening. This is a chart of some benchmarks that we follow for various investors. There's three different charts here. One of them is a growth investor chart, and that basically is the blue line. And you can see that one moved up really fast and then came down and is kind of just above the midpoint. I'm looking right now over the last three years' performance. And that growth uh, standard benchmark, if you will, is basically a benchmark blend of stocks and bonds, and it is looking at the total returns going over the last three years. So this is kind of what I would say what a good investor has done over the last three years. In the balanced uh, line, which is kind of a yellowish line, that is more of an investor who is more like, say, 60% stocks and 40% fixed income. And then we have the conservative line, which is the total return for conservative investors, which is more like 30 to 40% fixed income or equities, I mean, and the rest in fixed income. And if you look at the totals, you can see the high ranges, right? You know, you had a big bump up over the last three years for a growth investor who was very aggressive. And, uh, you know, you saw a run up of like 49%. And then you see it come down pretty dramatically, actually. And many uh, uh, gains were shed in a very short period of time. We saw, you know, uh, November 21st, we, uh, or 2021, we saw the peak and then we came down and we hit a bottom in October of 2022. And we've kind of been stabilizing with a lot of gyrations, a lot of movement up, a lot of movement down. This has caused a lot of angst in the market. This has got a lot of people making irrational decisions. You're seeing that with investors and in the money flows, people were are taking more money out than they should now. Um, a lot of people are investing in real estate when they shouldn't be. Um, it, it's very interesting to see the types of things that are happening right now. And it's there's no wonder that why this is happening because this type of market performance has been very, very tough. 
what's interesting is this is really pretty normal. This is pretty normal behavior in a, in a decline. And uh, there is no uh, good returns without some volatility. You'll have some setbacks as you're moving higher. So we, we definitely had a rough year last year, as everybody knows, partially also because fixed income did not help. Fixed income went down as the interest rates went up. So I, with that as the backdrop, I kind of want to just break down some of these headlines with you just to give you my take and what I think is going on. So in the Wall Street Journal headline, and this is Friday's Wall Street Journal, the headline was economy cools amid recession fears. And there's a graph there that shows, you can see that green bar chart that shows the economy is actually starting to slow again. So we have had a lot of talk that we've never had a recession, but if you look in that chart there, you see there was two negative quarters. So you could argue we actually had a recession, but what's interesting, we had a negative quarter in uh, the uh, quarter one of 2022 and quarter two of 2022. And then we had a bit of a bump up and then every single quarter we've been decelerating in growth. So we had two negative GDP quarters, Q1 and Q2 of 2022, and then the last three quarters of GDP decelerated in growth. Okay, so this is important because it is actually showing that the economy really hasn't really taken off. So if you listen to the headlines of what's on the on the kind of standard media, there was a lot of talk that, you know, things are getting better, things are getting better. And wages have been getting better and therefore um, employment has not fallen off and this is typical when you have an economy where inflation is getting higher people don't feel like they're getting better off there was some money that was injected into the system a significant amount of money and people use that money temporarily made you feel better was like a sugar high but really things have kind of softened and the reason why I'm saying this could be an optimistic thing is because the Federal Reserve is likely to have to keep a lid on raising rates much further, at least in the near term. So I think we have a short-term effect that's positive for equities, despite the fact that they're pretty pricey still. And I think this also is going to lead to more injection of money. So the other part of this backdrop has to do with these banks, right? Everybody is talking about the banks. And uh, there's a couple of things with the banks that really are making this interesting because, first of all, we have the one problem which has to do with the treasury bills or treasury bonds going down in value. Those treasury bonds going down in value can cause, uh, you know, a deterioration of the balance sheet. And if uh, investors or bank bank depositors take their money out that could lead to negative lead to negative equity realization of losses and um, basically banks going under and we're seeing that again and we're seeing more of this in fact I when I talked about this last time I said we'll continue to see more more um, consolidation I think we're seeing that right now with First Republic I haven't seen the headline as to what that is but that's pretty normal what can happen but there's another side to this that is interesting that <clears throat> could actually lead to more bank problems. That has to do with the fact that we have a lot of commercial real estate on the books. And I was looking at the commercial real estate statistics and a lot of this real estate is not doing well, as you know, after the pandemic, 
we have seen vacancy rates go up and not come down. So there's a lot of empty space. So I actually decided I was going to look up some of these stats and I found various stats that the industry creates. And it looks like if you look at the major metropolitan areas, there's like 19%-ish vacancy rate right now, which means like one in five office building or one in five uh, square foot is, is empty. Okay, so that's a lot. People think, well, that doesn't sound like much. Well, normally in a healthy market, a vacancy rate of 5% or less is considered healthy. Once you get over five, it's like, well, that's very weak. We're sitting at 20 or close to 20% right now. Could that be the bottom and maybe things get better from here? Perhaps. But in the meantime, we have to look at those asset valuations. There's a lot of scuttlebutt that many of these real estate properties have loans that are coming due and they're going to need to be refinanced. The question becomes how, uh, how much credit availability will we have to refinance these these real estate loans. I actually think they're going to have to be uh, refinanced some way because uh, if they don't, they're going to be owned by the banks and the banks don't want to own them. And, um, you know, there's going to be some kind of a liquidation. So that would be the worst case scenario. You have a bunch of deteriorating asset values, liquidations that are forced and more banks have more problems and more money gets printed. And uh, we go into a even worse kind of financial crisis. This is possible, and I think there's a lot of fears with that. My thought process on that is that we're going to have a slowdown continuing, but we'll probably have a bump up in equities in the process just because there's more liquidity being put into the system. Employment is fairly strong. There's lots of layoffs, though. As you're going through the headlines, you look and there's lots of companies that are uh, laying off. But it hasn't really cracked those unemployment figures yet to, to really get people's attention. So the, another big thing is this election, that, a big positive thing, I should say. Typically, when you have an election coming up, you know there's more fiscal policy or more loose fiscal policy and more loose monetary policy, and that has been good for stocks. So historically that led to leads to a good year in stock. So that could be in play right now and you could see nice moves up. So that's something to consider. Uh, when you look at it, when you break down this election information, you know, there's a, just a lot of noise going on. We have, you know, the Democrats reject starting talks on, on uh, debt. Okay. There, this whole debt conversation is so interesting because we have this debt limit which is kind of like a credit card limit it says, okay, you can't use more than a certain amount of debt. Well, we just keep moving it up and up and up. In fact, there's a graph of that in the wall street journal, which is pretty interesting. You look at a long-term, the long-term debt just goes up and up and up and up. Right. And it always just keeps changing. They keep changing it higher. It, it reminds me, it's kind of like, let's say you have a wife or a spouse that refuses to stop using uh, the, cre the credit card, they max out their credit cards and they say, oh, I, I want you to, to increase that limit for me uh, so I can go buy some more um, goodies. Maybe I'm going to buy me a new purse, Gucci, a Chanel, you know, I'm, I need another Chanel uh, uh, purse, you know, and max out that credit card even more. It makes no sense. We know it makes no sense. We're hurting ourselves in the long term. We know that. So the question is, is when that when does that become a problem? It's it's not a problem until it is. 
And historically, when these become problems, they become problems really fast. But in the meantime, the stock market can do very well. I want to caution people from being overly uh, concerned because you could miss out on some good returns in the near term. Another thing about this whole election thing that's interesting is that, you know, Biden decided he's going to seek a new term. Almost all the Democrats and Republicans, there's so many Democrats and Republicans that really don't want him to run. So we're kind of in a weird situation. We're all trying to, uh, you know, look at look at our options during the election, and many people are unhappy no matter which way you go. Um, but if you look at the track record, you could see that uh, there's plenty of reasons to not like the current administration's uh, behavior and their and how they're handling the economy and other things. And there's plenty of reason to not like um, other candidates on the ticket. So I think that that is creating a lot of negative feelings uh, by investors and they're thinking, gosh, what you know, where is this country going to? And how, what, what does that mean for us as investors? But interesting, interestingly enough, that's when actual opportunities are created. I'll tell you another thing that's causing an overhang that is probably creating a, a potential opportunity for a bullish move has to do with all of the Ukraine, China, Russia dynamics. You look at the headlines, you look at what's happening, it's clear that China is rising in the new world order. It's clear that they're becoming a bigger uh, factor in negotiations, even in the Ukraine. I mean, you could see that China is actually looking at creating negotiations to try to stop what's going on in the Ukraine. And we are becoming, as the United States, a smaller component of the world dynamic. Although we still dominate, we, we are becoming a smaller part of the equation. And so the, the whole triangulation between Europe and Russia and China, that whole thing, and you throw in the Middle East and you throw in the United States and you have a kind of a chess game that is likely going to slowly continue to move towards this new world order where the United States is not the dominant. So that will create uh, opportunities because a lot of people see that as a, such a negative. It's clear that that's what's happening. A lot of people see that as such a negative that they'll, they'll continue to weigh on certain stocks. And they'll they'll weigh on those stocks too much. And eventually, we'll see uh, valuations go higher. So I'm trying to talk myself into a bullish case here, right? It almost sounds like, wow, there's so many negative things. How can you be bullish? Well, that's a really good question. I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm looking at is that the markets themselves are stabilizing. So the markets tend to climb a wall of worry. So all of these things that people are looking at in the headlines, they go, my gosh, why, why should I own stocks? Another thing that I'm hearing, I'm having more and more phone calls where people are calling up and saying, hey, why don't we just own a ton of treasury bills? I mean, I can get four and a half, five percent on a treasury bill. That's a great rate of return. Why take risks? And I look at that and say, yeah, yeah, on, on a risk-adjusted return basis, that is the most attractive uh, area in the fixed income market. Um, but what's interesting is the yield curve 
rolls over and is inverted so you cannot lock that in for very long that is the problem so the, the market is is already pricing in a recession right now and it has already priced in a recession we could see a bottom that surprises everyone and i have been talking about this for a while we had we did reduce risk uh, because of the uncertainties with regard to the banking sector but we are slowly moving ourselves back to a position of more invested. So anyhow, I, I just look at these headlines and you look at these cross currents and you go, why in the heck would I be an investor right now in equities? And I would tell you the reason why is because you're not going to have, first of all, a rip-roaring bull market with everything going up at the same time. That's highly unlikely. I think you're likely to have pockets that move higher, certain areas that you can overweight. But as I talk this through, you can see it's scary out there, right? It's scary out there. And that's leading us to a situation where we say, gosh, you know, what do I do with my money? I'm talking myself out of being bullish myself right now, just talking about it, right? But then I look at some charts and I go, wait a minute. What is happening here? So let's dissect this down a little bit. We had a nice correction. We bottomed out. And you've seen us move our way up higher. We broke the previous resistance levels. And we are now clear of that base. Typically, that is a sign of a trend change. Doesn't necessarily mean higher, but it does mean not down. So I think if we hold these levels and we continue to have accumulation, we could have a nice bull market that will shock everyone. So that's something I, I think we should look at. <clears throat> I'm going to switch gears a little bit now. Looking at the equity markets right now, when I pull up all these headlines, I get really, really emotional. It's, it's, it's easy to get emotional about it. But if you break it down and you start looking at the numbers, you could see that there's reason to be optimistic and there's investments that can be made i'm going to pull up some of our models when we create our investment strategies we have this concept that we use of forecasting risk adjusted returns and then looking at the diversification benefits of different investments and blending those investments to get a solid return expectation with the lowest amount of risk possible for our clients. For example, if you look at the equity market, so one of the things we do is we look at various sectors in the market and industries in the market to look at what their return and risk characteristics and forecasts are. So we create a forecast. We first start off by looking at those factors that we think are the most important for forecasting return and risk. So, for example, in the sectors, we're looking at historical valuations. What is the dividend yield? What is the weighted average PE? What is the uh, price to sales? What does the cash flow look like? And then we look at forecast valuation, too. So what is the dividend yield forecast to be? What is the forecasted multiples to various fundamentals like cash flow and earnings, book value, sales? And then we also look at the growth numbers. What has the historical growth been, say, over the last five years? What is the forecasted growth going to be? You know, what is the forecasted growth in earnings and sales? 
And then we look at other total returns, like what is the momentum of the stock? What, How has the stock been trending on a relative and absolute basis over the last three months, six months, one year? And how does that look relative to each other? Because companies that have good momentum intermediate term tend to have good returns, above average returns in the future periods. You know, what does that look like? What is the volatility of it? What are some of the risks involved uh, uh, in terms of not only price volatility, but also fundamental volatility? Like, for example, we use metrics for quality and the quality metrics to look at margins and look at debt levels and look at how, how much the quality of those earnings. And those tell you a lot about the basic uh, risks from a, from a fundamental perspective. And then risks should also be filtering into the price volatility. And typically there is a strong correlation between the fundamental risks and the price risks. Uh, but we like to look at both of those metric metrics because sometimes you can have fundamental risks look small, but the price risks start increasing. And oftentimes those price risks, risks increasing are more correct than the fundamental risk because there's a lag between when fundamentals change that you actually see you know, you can take it a one, one step further with qualitative analysis and look at the nature of the industry. What are the competitors? What are the inputs, uh, the volatility of the expense inputs, the revenue inputs, who are their customers? And you can really, really get deep on that. And you could try to assess at another level what those risks are and returns. You know, what are the new products that they're coming up with? What are the new services that they're coming up with? What's, what's the dynamic with regulations that's affecting them? We could really go down a rabbit hole with all that. But ultimately, those figures will show up in the quantitative data. So if you look at that and we say, okay, what are these different factors? We have to be able to kind of normalize them and say, okay, well, how much do we weight each one of these factors and how important are they? And how can we normalize those so that we can get rid of outliers and look at what is a meaningful signal for each one of these factors? So that, that is kind of our next step that we do in this process. And then from there, we say, okay, now let's look at the comparatively speaking for each factor, how is each sector positioned? You know, like for example, how are good gaming stocks positions relative to cybersecurity stocks or clean energy stocks relative to the Japanese stock market or gold miners compared to video games and biotech and self-driving cars and Latin American stocks, robotics and artificial intelligence, semiconductors jets. So that allows us to see things in a more holistic way. This is thinking slow. And when you think slow, you, you can have better outcomes because you're able to actually rationally parse these things out and get a, a relative attractiveness of return and risk for each one of these industries, for example. And we do the same thing in fixed income securities as well and alternative investments. Anyhow, so once we've done that, then we can scale those down and say, okay, now let's bring this down to an actual signal that we can quantify. And we want to look at, like, for example, on a dividend basis. If we look on a dividend basis, for example, right now, the best dividend growth in current yield, et cetera, is in uh, Japanese stocks in, in, in Asia or in Latin America. <laughs> Some of the regional banks have amazing dividend yields, so you have to look at this. And then, for example, in the growth area, who's got the strongest growth? Well, some of the lithium battery stocks uh, have a tremendous growth. And same thing with rare earth st stocks have tremendous growth in many different ways. And we're seeing oil and gas growth being uh, very, very high. Uh, on, on the flip side, on the lower side, we see lower growth in 
other areas, right? You could and, and you could tell there's a trade-off. Sometimes the best value companies, if you look at like valuation-wise, the strongest value sectors would be they're not in the US, it's outside the US. So you're seeing more value outside the US with some some exceptions. For example, you, even today, you, there's strong value in the oil and gas sector. There's reasonably good value in the transportation sector. There's good valuations. You're starting to see valuations starting to come in with those banks. The banks that everybody is fearing, you're starting to see the values look more attractive there now. Um, there's strong va value in the Latin American stocks. So then we look at momentum, and momentum tells you different things. Like, for example, the gaming stocks are doing very, very well because there's positive change that's happening there. Uh, there's positive change in the home construction. A lot of people say, well, home construction with rising interest rates, why do I want to do that? Well, earnings are doing better. You're seeing the growth numbers uh, pick up. You're seeing the momentum numbers pick, pick up. You know, th these are things that if you think, if you're thinking slow and you're not looking at the emotions of, you know, going through the newspaper, then you can actually be more targeted and, and be a rational investor, which is really what we're trying to do for our clients. So then we look at the risk factors, say like, well, okay, what, what is relatively low risk right now? Well, <laughs> you know, our risk es estimates are actually, you know, all over the map right now, right? I mean, you have higher risks in certain areas that you would think are not, not as, as high risk as you would normally have it. Well, anyway, and I, I don't want to get into too many of the details right now. The idea is if you think slow, if you take things more rationally, you should make better decisions over the long term. And it's not always going to be right 100% of the time, but that does, that's not what you need. You just need good diversification and to be right over the long term over your portfolio selection. So after coming through a rough year, the psychology is negative. The headlines are negative. Some of the fundamentals and technicals are improving. So I have to be more on the side of improvement right now. I know this could sound confusing, all the stuff that I'm talking about, because some of the things that I'm talking about from the headlines are so negative that you go, oh my gosh, why the heck should I invest? But then once we start thinking slow, you can say, hey, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should have some better investments. So the idea is to be long-term in your thinking, be diversified, have a disciplined approach, have a good financial plan, and then you should do very, very well. So let's move on, let's move on a little bit to the fixed income market again. So if you take that same rationale and you say, okay, what are the return factors that make sense for fixed income? Well, we want to look at the yields. What is the yield that we're, we're going to get if we invest in certain sectors? You can look at uh, government bonds, corporate bonds, mortgage bonds, inflation-protected bonds, international bonds, municipal bonds, T-bills. There's various sectors you can look at. So what yields are we getting across these different sectors? And what kind of duration risk am I taking? The longer the maturity, the more risk you have, interest rate risk in a fixed income market. You know, what am I taking risk from a duration perspective? And what am I taking risk from a credit perspective? Um, you know, what are the, the allocations to various credit ratings, AA, AAA, you know, triple B, triple B minus? What is that risk, the credit risk? And then what is my overall expected rate of return based on that? One thing that you, it's difficult to forecast is the direction of interest rates. But what you can do at any moment in time is you could say, okay, right now, this, this is the yields that I could get in this particular investment. This is the credit risk I'm going to take. This is the duration risk. And what is a rational way for me to split my fixed income 
investment right now. Once you do that, then you could do the same thing. You can normalize your factors. You could say, okay, now uh, what are the most attractive fixed income? And not surprisingly right now, treasury bills are attractive, um, but it's not the only thing that's attractive. We've had some fairly good returns in the tips, but overall the do it's dominated by by investment grade, shorter duration um, securities right now. Um, if we have a recession, there's going to be a longer term move. So if you factor in changes in interest rates, you could have you know wildly different returns. So one of the factors that we do look at is, is what is the relative momentum of these fixed income markets? Because if we have a shift that's moving towards long term or whatever other sector, we will also want to take advantage of that. We'll see that in the momentum numbers that will change our expected return factors. Basically, and you don't want these factors to change. You want them to be more stable factors that have a long-term record of adding value, and you want to be diversified. You don't want to overly weight one versus the other because uh, if you get too tactical, sometimes what will happen is that you can severely underperform. You want to have, we're looking for more robust, reliable type returns relative to uh, what the opportunities are in the global markets, not just in the U.S., not just stocks, not bonds, but also alternatives. So one of the things that we're also investing in right now, pretty heavily, I, I shouldn't say pretty heavily. We, I want to say on average our allocation is about 8% in managed futures, trend-following futures, ma global macro-type strategies, long, short stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, because these types of strategies are amazing diversifiers. I don't know of another type of strategies that is more diversified to long only stock and bond portfolios and they also tend to do very well when you have crisis that when you have big trends that are unexpected these strategies typically will profit from those that could be during periods of time when stocks and bonds don't do well so for example last year they did very very well as interest rates rose you know short positions in bonds went up as commodity prices moved, they were taking advantage of those, both long and short. Energy prices moving higher, you know, taking advantage of, of oil, gas, natural gas, moving lower. So these are the types of things that are good to have as diversifiers in the port portfolio. Of 8%, by the way, of the overall portfolio mix, on average, for, for clients. And we look at that relative to, you know, how much you have in bonds, how much you have in stocks. And, you know, taking this slow way of, looking at your investments in the long run helps you. And you don't have to be doing crazy things in order to make reasonable returns. I think one of the things that I have learned as an investor is that anytime you have a religious-like fanaticism about a factor, like I'm a value investor or I'm a growth investor, this is where you get into trouble. Maybe over the long run, you're going to do great. But if you don't have, uh, you know, you're going to have periods of time where you severely underperform in those those types of strategies. You may do very well or above average on the long term, but not usually without a severe amount of pain. And for most investors, our goal is to have a reasonable rate of return without sticking our neck out. And for us to meet life goals, to preserve our wealth for the long term, beat inflation, have money for the next generation, beat inflation and have this preservation and peace of mind that having an investment strategy that is well diversified and adaptable to changing market conditions is the key. So with that said, I've kind of rambled a little bit on about various things, but I started off this session talking about how the headlines look bad 
We have plenty of reasons to not think we should invest to coming down to the numbers and rationally looking in the market and saying, you know what? I get why you're feeling bad. Let's stay focused on the numbers and we're gonna do just fine. Well, that's all for now. I hope you guys are having a great day. Louis Giannis signing off and we'll talk to you later. For the latest episode of The Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five-star review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.